Amen. Well, greetings, everyone. Um, a few weeks ago, um, in one of my sermons, I, I used this phrase about um, kingdom finances. In case you're wondering, some of those letters, are, they're all different currency uh, symbols. I was trying to be clever. Um, and I thought it would be good. I mentioned in a sermon about how it's so important to have our finances in line with kingdom finance principles, but I didn't expand upon that at the time, so I thought at a later point, which is now, I would uh, do that. Um, and I know everyone loves to talk about money. Um, and if you're visiting this morning, you're probably thinking, I'm really glad I came to the church on the Sunday, they're going to talk about money. Um, because the reality is we don't like talking about money, we don't like it a bit. Um, I think English people particularly are a bit strange when it comes to money, um, and we're a bit, you know, we can be even worse. So, and maybe even as I, I start to, to if, if you read it on the newsletter or as you saw the title of it come up and you realised today we're going to talk about money, maybe your hand just clenched your wallet a bit tighter um, or maybe you became a bit uncomfortable. Maybe you started to, to reflect on your own finances and thinking, oh dear, I'm in trouble today. Um, or maybe, I don't know, what your reaction, but often we can feel quite uncomfortable. Because um, I understand why, in some respects, because I've been in churches where sometimes the offering is, is longer than the sermon, you know, that it's gone on and on and there's a real push on those things. Um, I've been in other uh, meetings where prior to going in, I know that I'm going to be pressed for some money, so I left my wallet in the car because I thought, well, if I haven't got any money on me, I can't give anything. Now, I'm not saying that's a good thing to do, but it just shows how sometimes we can react to finances in different ways, particularly finances in church. And there are examples where in churches, finances have been abused. Giving has been abused. Um, and so it's so important that we have a right understanding about what God is asking of us. Because the reality is that in the Bible, you know, the Bible talks about money a lot. The Bible talks about money a lot. Um, I, I didn't check this out myself, but I read that 11 out of the 39 parables talk about money. And so actually Jesus talked more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. And so you, if you're thinking about, well, what's important? What's on God's heart? Well, the answer is money. And you think, oh, that just confirms what I thought about Christians. All they want is my money. When I come to church, all they want is my money. Um, but it's actually not the case. Because I just want to make it clear, God does not need your money. God doesn't need your money. But what he wants is you. And we're going to expand on that a bit as we go on. And because the part of the challenge we have is that money is a key indicator about how we see God and how we relate to him. There was a quote I read this week. It said, what I have discovered recently is, that there, is, a, is there is definitely a reason why the Bible is full of scriptures about money. People desperately need wisdom when it comes to their personal finances. 
And so the reason that God talks about this so much is because we are so bad when it comes to money, often. Now, that's a generality. I'm sure there's one or two of you here today who are really good and have got this nailed down. And so if you want, you can play Candy Crush or something like that while I speak. But for the rest of us, you know, it's really important that we hear what God wants to say. Now, so I thought I'd start us off with one of the key well-known verses about money. For money is the root of all kinds of evil. Amen? No? For the love of money is the root. That was your test to see if you're paying attention. It is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Jesus himself said that we cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve two things. Um, And so actually money is neutral. Money is not a bad thing, it's not a good thing, it's a neutral thing, but it's actually what we do with it, how we approach it and how we look at it, that actually is really important. Because actually it's the love of money that will drive us to do all kinds of evil things, basically. Um, Let me check. That's what Jesus said. He said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, I don't know if I was to take a poll this morning, and if I said to you, who here serves money? Anyone want to put their hand up? No. Because generally, we don't think that way. You know, we think maybe about other religions and gods and things like that, and we can understand how we might serve that. But when it comes to money, you know, we don't go to the altar that they've got down at Barclays or at Halifax, wherever it might be, and we, we don't kneel down or light a candle and worship. We don't have that kind of approach to money. But the truth is that the way we approach money can actually show a service to money. It can actually show that we love or worship money. Now again, you might not think, I don't worship money, but let me ask you a few questions that might provoke some response. So as I ask them, think about, what does this mean to me? What is your source of joy? Where is your hope? Where do you get satisfaction? How do you determine things like value? Where do you get your security? Where do you get your significance? So does our trust rest in God? Or does our trust rest in our bank balance? Does our trust or our hope come from our our nest egg, our savings or our inheritance? Does our hope come from a scratch card that we might do? Is our future based on those things? Because actually, the thing that you put your trust in is the thing that you worship. The thing that you put your trust in is the thing that you worship. Now, I said, it's not wrong having a bank balance. It's not wrong having um, some savings. And even then, you know, if you do a scratch card, I don't know, my mum buys us a scratch card every Christmas. We've never won anything more than a fiver. And it's kind of like, but my hope isn't in it. Where is your hope? Where are you putting your security for tomorrow? 
Are these in God? Are they in finances? Now, I saw an interesting image this week. And it says, what we say we believe, what we really believe, and how we spend our time and money. Because, you know, what you can say you believe certain things. And as I said, who worships money? We're not going to say we, believe, we worship money. But actually, how we spend our time and our money can indicate what we really believe. And sometimes there's an inconsistency with how we're living and what we actually say we believe. And so often our life will declare something louder than what we say. And I don't know if you've ever had that in your own life where people will say something, but their, their actions declare something a lot louder than that. And that can be the case with money. So what I wanted to do was give us a few principles, and I've only got time today to go through a few. There are a lot more. As I said, the Bible talks a lot about money. So I'm just going to give us a few today to give us a guide to how we can look at money and manage our finances. And what I want you to do is be open. Because one of the things we were singing about today is Basically, I surrender myself. I want you all. Be Lord of my life. And you know what? We can't say, well, Lord, be Lord of this, but not of that. It just doesn't work. It's like having one strong leg and one bad leg. You're going to walk around in circles. And we have to have the Lord as Lord of everything. The physio is going, that wouldn't happen. <laughs> So have an open heart and be open to what God is saying. Don't cling tightly to your wallet, but to trust. And I, I think the trouble is, we as a church, we don't generally talk about money. Even to the point that, John, have you got the offering bags ready? Yeah, they're ready. See, last week, Jim, did you take an offering? No, we forgot. We forgot an offering last week. We haven't got the bags ready this week. We don't think about money a lot. We're not, that kind, we're not that kind of church, so that, that's not necessarily a good thing, by the way. We need to have a right and godly approach to finances. If you've got your Bibles, can you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9? And it's a really encouraging passage where Paul is talking to the Corinthians about money, about generosity, um, because at the time when he's writing this, there was a famine in Jerusalem and so a lot of the other churches around uh, Asia Minor were having collections in order to support the church. And so Paul um, was kind of going around collecting the money. So that's a big collection going around and then taking it back to Jerusalem to help them. So I'm just going to start by reading uh, verses 1 to 5. So Paul says, now it is superfluous, that's a great word, superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Acacia has been ready since last year. So he's talking about this offering. He's like, I don't have to write you about this because I know you've been ready for it. And he says, your zeal has stirred up most of them, but I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove vain in this matter, so that you may be ready as I have said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you 
for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. So he's been saying, you've done this collection, I know you're doing great, but I'm going to send some people just in advance, just to make sure that you've got it all in order, uh, so that when we get there, you know, you're not like shuffling around trying to find some coins in the sofa, um, but you're ready, otherwise we're all going to look a bit embarrassed, and that's not good, because I've been telling other people, you guys are great, and then if you're not great, we all look a bit silly. So that's kind of the principle. So the first principle I want to talk about is that we need to have the right attitude. So, because Paul didn't feel like he had to say much about them, and he commends them for their readiness. Now, I want to ask you this morning, if God was to look at you or if someone was to know you, would they describe you when it comes to finances is that you are someone who has readiness. Are you ready with generosity? Or are you, like me, in that moment where your wallet is back in the car because you're definitely not ready because you don't really want to? I wasn't ready to give in that situation. And the trouble is, sometimes we can be in this situation where we can actually be quite reluctant to give. And that is not how God wants us to be. The character of God is one of willingness, of readiness. He, he loved the world he, that he gave his son. He was willing to give. Um, God's heart is always overflowing with generosity. And so therefore, we as his people should be reflection, reflective of that. When we come into a situation, and if we live in a way where we're not ready, then we, the, the danger is we've already made up our mind not to be open to God. As I challenged you just a minute ago, what I want us to do is be open. And are you willing to be open to God so that if God were to say to you, do this, give this, be this, that you're willing and ready to look for opportunities to be generous. I think God wants us to be in a situation where actually we're having to hold back sometimes. That actually we want, it's like, oh, I want to do this. I want to be generous. I want to give. But God's saying, no, hold, up, hold back. Don't do this. Whereas often we find ourselves on the other end of the spectrum where we need to find a crowbar to kind of get our wallet open. And if you've ever been at work, at work often there's a joke about somebody who when they open their wallet, the moths fly out of it. Um, and we don't want to be in that kind of situation, particularly as people of God. Because one of the things that Paul was talking about here is how the attitude of these Corinthians was being an example to others. And if we are tight-fisted, then what does that say about our God? But we want to reflect the nature of God who is generous. So are you on the lookout to be generous, or does God have to almost like mug you in order to get something off you? It doesn't mean that we have to always give lots, you know. Um, there was a woman, and Jesus was observing this, the woman who came and give, 
she gave two coins. They were all queuing up at the temple, giving their, their, their money, and this woman came and she gave two coins. And Jesus commended her because he said she has given more than all the others because they gave out of their wealth, they gave out of their abundance, whereas she gave out of her lack. She gave sacrificially. And so it doesn't mean we have to give lots because this is the important principle when we think about having the right attitude is that God is looking at your heart. God knows your circumstances. He knows what you've got. Because you get the other side of it where you had a couple called Ananias and Sapphira. And they sold their whole, all their property and said, we're going to give that to the Lord. But the thing is, what they did is they held back a little bit. And because of this, they came and they said, we're giving everything, but yet they were holding back a little bit. And what God did, he struck them down dead. Now, when we have our offering later, um, we're not, don't fear, I don't, God was showing something to this early church because the problem was they were lying. That was the problem. They were lying, so that you lied to the Holy Spirit because you were declaring that you were one thing, but you were another. But God saw their heart because you look, could look at it and say, Man, they gave 90%, which was, you know, that's more than I give. I don't give 90%. They gave it so much and probably more than others. But God was like, I don't care how much you give. I'm interested in your heart. Because if your heart is to deceive people, if your heart is to look good, you know, that's not what I want. If you, if you say you're giving everything, you give everything. If you say you're going to give 90%, give 90%. God was looking at the heart. If our heart is only one that gives out of leftovers or out of our abundance, I would challenge us that our heart is not a heart of sacrificial worship to God. Because often there is a danger that we see, what have I got left at the end of the month? You know, God can have that bit. And again, God challenged a group because they were making all these sacrifices to God, but what they were giving him was the rubbish, basically. They were, giving, they were making a sacrifice of a lamb, but they would find the worst lamb, the one that had a disease or was lame or wasn't coloured properly or something like that, and they'd give him that. They would give him the rubbish, basically. And God was like, yeah, it's a lamb, but you're giving me your leftovers. I'm not interested in your leftovers. Because when we do that, it's not a symbol of our love of God, because I once heard this story about someone who sent these, was providing for missionaries, and so what they sent them was used tea bags. And you think, well, it's nice that you thought of me, but it doesn't show what you thought of me was very much. And I wonder sometimes, you know, if, if we, our giving reflects that about God. Well, it's nice that you gave, but what you gave shows you don't really think much of me. It doesn't show that you trust me. And often when we give like that out of our leftovers or out of our abundance, it's more like we're hedging our bets. You know, well, we'll do this, we'll do this, we'll do that bit for God as well, you know, keep God happy. It's not a true act of worship. It doesn't show that our trust is in him. On the other end, another side of that though is I felt God saying that there's a danger that we cap our giving. And maybe this is something that you've done. 
that you know, you've, you've set up your direct debit, debit, you've said, right, I've, I've given this every month, tick, I've ticked a box, I'm done with giving, I can get on with the rest of my life now. And you might have been very generous, but we've capped our giving in a way that God doesn't want us to. Because if we've done that, we're then not on the, look out, on the lookout to be generous. The Pharisees were a bit like that. Again, they were people who were diligent. It says that they even tithed their herbs and spices. That means, you know, they got their grains of salt out and measured them out one at a time. I've given my tithe. Now, a tithe was kind of 10% of giving and was what they were being asked to give. And so they say, right, I've measured everything out. I've ticked the box and I've done it. And that is not the heart that God is looking for. God isn't wanting us to tick a box. Because what do we think about tithing? Now, I, 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 to be honest with you, I flow back and forth on the issue of tithing. And I sometimes I hear a really good sermon on it. I'm like, yeah, that's brilliant. And I hear a different one. It's got a different point. I think, yeah, that's good too. Because tithing was this Old Testament principle that they would come and they would give a tenth of their grain or their offering and bring it to the temple. And the truth is, you know what? We're in the New Testament now. We don't have a temple. Um, so should we, should we give 10%? Some people say, yeah, it's a good guide to give 10% of your income. But the truth is, we should be willing to give everything to the Lord. We should be willing to give whatever the Lord asks of us. And the trouble is, if we say, you know what, I've given my 10%, or actually I'm on 9% at the moment, or I'm doing 12%, me, you know, we can cap ourselves, and we're no longer looking to be generous or obedient, but we're looking to tick a box. And you know what, as people, we love guidelines, we love rules, because that means that we don't have to think about it that you can say, yes, I've done that, and now I don't have to think about it, and I don't have to be in relationship with God for him to guide me in my giving. And so I challenge you, if you, in your mind you've ticked that box every month, you've ticked that box, and God is asking for something different because he's saying, will you come to me in relationship and allow me to guide you? Now, 10% is a great guideline to start with. If you want to start somewhere, start there. You know what? Also with finances, you'll never have enough. I remember encouraging a group of youth once and saying, have in your mind, before you get your first paycheck, to start giving 10%. Because if you wait till your first paycheck and then you think, oh, now I can go and buy those clothes I've been waiting for, or I can do this, or I can do that, there's never a good time. There's never a time where you think, wow, I'm, I've got lot le a lot left after the end of the month and I can afford to give now. It doesn't come because we always spend what we've got. This is why God says, I want the first. I want you to come and trust me first. And this is where we're talking about the attitude. It's an attitude of heart that says, I trust God. The other thing, that we, the next principle we learn from this passage is have your giving in order. Because Paul was worried that he was going to turn up and it would all be in disarray. They wouldn't have done what they said they would have done, and it would have all looked a bit like, it would have been awkward. You know, if you've ever gone to someone asking for money, and they're like, oh, I haven't got it, and you feel really awkward asking. Um, again, that's maybe because we're British, I don't know. But Paul was concerned here, and I say this because there are many times I've heard from people, I really need to set up 
my direct debit. I really need to start giving. And then 12 months down the line, there's no difference. They really still need to do it. And this is not what God is wanting. God says that your yes be yes and your no be no. Because if God has put something on your heart to do, then do it. We've got to be obedient to what God is saying. We can't just talk a good game, you know. We can, that little circle of what we believe. We all believe that giving is good. We all believe that we should give. But what is our action and do the two things meet together? We have to put our money where our mouth is. And so if God has put it on your heart to do something, then obey it and do it. Because again, he says, your gift should be a willing gift. The danger is you listen to a sermon like this and you think, oh man, I've really got to start giving. To be honest, if your heart is like that, don't bother. Because our heart should be one that says, actually, I want to do this. God wants you to give willingly and out of love for him. Not because you've just been strong-armed by, by me or by somebody else. The other side of that being having your giving in order is about are you in a place to give? That our finances you know, should be in a position where we are able to give because if you're always living beyond your means, for example, then God says, I want you to give, you're not going to be able to because there's always somebody else you've got to pay, there's always something else you've got to do. But actually, are you building into your finances flexibility to give and to be generous? Let's read on. I'm going to read verse 6 to 11. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written. He has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies need, seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So again, a principle that we've probably heard before, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Because if we are tight-fisted, that is going to have an outworking in your life. I don't know if you've ever met somebody who is tight-fisted but is overflowing with joy. I don't know if you've ever met someone like that. I don't think I have. How you sow has an impact on other areas of your life. Now, I don't necessarily believe that if you give, therefore, I'm going to get back lots of money. We can sometimes think that way. You know what, if I put in some ten, a tenner in the offering, I'm going to get 100 quid back somewhere else. You know, we can have that mentality, and sometimes God does that. Sometimes God says, will you give this thing that you've got, and I will give you abundantly more. 
God does work in that way at times. But if we're coming to God and we think God's like a surefire bet, you know, I'm going to give to God and he is going to give back to me, again, we go back to first point, wrong attitude. God is not a slot machine that you give and you... Or, um, but he does say, when it comes to finances, you can test me. You can give to me and you can test me because if he doesn't come through for you, then he's failing on his word. But he's saying, if you trust me, then I will, be, I will bless you. I remember hearing of a church that they, they were encouraging people to tithe for a year, to make a commitment to tithe for a year. And they said, if at the end of the year you're not happy, we'll give you your money back. And they were confident that at the end of the year, God would have blessed them in a way they wouldn't need that. But when we give, we put ourselves in a place of grace before God. Because we're getting ourselves aligned with God's purposes and we're saying, God, I'm putting you first above everything else. And when we do that, we allow grace, the grace of God to be outworked in our lives, as verse 9 says. No, is it verse 9? Not verse 9. which verse it is. But if we sow sparingly, we are going to reap sparingly. And if we sow bountifully, we also reap bountifully. And I don't know if you want a bountiful life. I don't know, you can ask yourself that, that question right now. Do I want a bountiful life? Or do I want a, a threadbare life? Because God's saying, if you want a bountiful life, you have to invest bountifully. You have to be generous in what you're doing. So you see, yeah, verse 8, sorry, that God is able to make all things, make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. And this is the truth. As we give to God, he will provide sufficiency for us, having all that we need and enabling us to do every good work. As we give to God, he will provide the thing that we need to do what he has called us to do. So his grace will sustain the work that he has called us to do. But if we hold back, we're not going to experience that. Verse 10 says, he supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Do you know there's two types of seed? There's seed for sowing and seed for eating. That sometimes as we get seed, we think, all this is for me. And I don't know if you feel that, you know, when you get your paycheck or you get whatever it might be, in any way you get some finances, you think, this is for me. And the truth, God is saying, some of it's for you, but some of it is for sowing. Some of it's for eating and some of it's for sowing. But also, as God then provides that bounty, again, that's not all for you. That's also to be generous. That God doesn't give to you just for you. He gives to you so that you can be generous to others. So again, that question comes up. Are you on the, out, on the lookout to be generous to others? And I know that when I get every year, normally I get a bonus. It's not massive, but it's nice. And, it, and there's a part of me that can be like, bonus, that's for me. But actually the question is, is that something God is saying for, is for others? Is for might be a bit for me, might be some for others as well. 
Are we, are we willing to give with what God has given to us? There's an interesting uh, phrase there. It says that God will increase the harvest of your righteousness. I don't know if that makes you feel a bit uncomfortable that your generosity is connected with your righteousness. The danger is we can think about that and we can think, therefore, if I give, that's going to make me righteous. You know, I'm almost like buying my way into God's good books. But this is why we come back to the heart issue. Because actually, if God is saying, I want all of you, then your giving is connected with your growth and your maturity in faith. That if there's part, a part of your life that is withheld from God, that's going to impact how you grow and how you relate to God. Because there's going to be this part of you that is closed to God and there's going to be a part of your righteousness that is going to be undeveloped and you're going to be immature in an area of your walk with God. And so actually... As you give to God, your righteousness will grow. Firstly, because you are being obedient. Because we cannot grow in righteousness if we're disobedient. We'll grow because we're trusting. We're saying, God, I come in line with you and I trust you above everything else. And the more we trust God in any area, that will help us grow in righteousness. And we'll mature. But it is also a harvest for righteousness beyond us that is God's kingdom, that as we invest in the kingdom of God and sow into that, we'll see God's kingdom established. But it's not also for that, but in that sense we see that it is for our blessing. In verse 11 it says, you will be enriched in every way for all your generosity. As I was saying, it's not necessarily... I'm going to get pound for pound or I'm putting in a good investment that I'm going to get money back from God. But God's saying you will abound in every way because of your generosity. And I don't know, again, if you've met people who are generous and other things in life just seem to be blessed for them. That they do well in other things. It's not just about, oh, they've got lots of money, but they've got lots of joy or they've got lots of friends, maybe because they're generous. But, um, but there's other things that work well for them and they're being blessed in other ways because of their generosity. And it's a hard one because, again, if we do it with that aim in mind, we've got things wrong. But that's the consequence of our generosity. In, verse, in Acts 20, verse 35, it says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I don't know if you really believe that, because I know at times I can go into a situation and think, I need to receive, I need to be given to, I've got needs, I've got needs, and I need these needs to be met. But do we believe that in that situation where you're, you're sensing that deep need that you have, that actually the best thing for you to do is to give? Because if all we do is focus on our needs, then we become self-centred. But actually, by giving, we become God-focused. Because we know we're, what we're saying is, if I give, I'm trusting that God will provide all my needs. And what a better place that is to be, to be God-focused than to be self-centered. 
to love others than to love ourselves. There's something I heard again this week, and it said um, there's actually something called the helper high. And that actually, as you do something to help others, you get a high from it. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that, where you've, you, like, you've done something, you know, I've given someone a pound, and for some reason you're like, I feel really good about that. God has created us that way, that actually it's better for us if we give. Whereas if you've ever been in that situation where you're like, I need to receive something, does that make you feel good? It makes you feel quite down. So actually it's better for you to give than to receive and trust that then God will provide all your needs. The last principle is that giving results in glory and thanksgiving I'm just going to read verse 12 to the end of the chapter. It says, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission, flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. There is a practical side to giving. It says to give to the poor, to give to the saints, and you can bless people. But ultimately, our giving is a spiritual act of worship to God, designed to create praise to God, so that when people give, for one thing, the angels see, and they give glory to God of what your obedience is, but others, again, have you ever given something or have received something and in our heart, oh, thanks God, that you're giving praise to God because we've, where provision isn't met. So we shouldn't be seeking praise for ourselves, but for his glory. Because if we're looking for praise for ourselves, if we want to be like, you know, here's a big check that I'm giving to you and here's a photo of me, I'm going to Instagram it, um, then we're missing the point. We should seek as much as possible, I would say, to give secretly. Now, some, I believe some people sometimes take this a bit far and they become like a secret agent in their giving, um, hiding in bushes so they can then just drop something through a letterbox or, you know, there is a scripture that says don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing Again, that can just be really confusing. But the principle is there that it shouldn't be for show, but that we should, because if we do it for show, we're getting glory. But we should be doing it uh, for God. Because to be honest with you, if you set up a direct debit in the church, there are people who know, very few people, who know what you're giving. I'll be honest with you. But they're not, we're not looking through it going, oh, what's so-and-so giving? What's so-and-so giving? You know, it's, it's relatively anonymous. So we don't seek to be, we don't have to be completely anonymous, but do seek to be, not do it for our glory. Actually finish. The truth is that when we give, we are agents of God. We're giving what he has given us to give to others. And I hope that as you think about your finances, that's how you see yourself as an agent of God who is able to come and do his work, showing his will and his care and his love for others. Your giving will encourage the faith, 
faith of others. And actually, I know I was saying about how we don't do it for, to be seen, but actually, you do see people. You do, you do hear about what people do. And the purpose, part of the purpose of that is it encourages us to then trust in God in the same way. I always like that last verse. It says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. I don't know if that's how you feel when the offering bags go round. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible opportunity to worship him and to love him and to serve him. What a wonderful opportunity it is to give. Is that your heart this morning? Now, it might not be. Maybe you're on a different end of the spectrum, but are you willing to say, God, will you give me this gift of giving? Will you create in me a generous heart so that when we get to give, it's a heart of rejoicing? I'll tell you the truth, that I have never given and regretted it. I've never given and regretted it. And that is not because I've always given to the right thing. Sometimes I've given and I've thought that was a bad investment, so to speak. But actually, through every gift of giving, it has been nurturing my heart in a way that says, God, I trust you. God, I want to be generous. God, I want to be uh, willing. And that's the more important thing. Not about the, the where it's going necessarily, but actually what God is doing in me. And so I hope you've begun to see some of these principles. As I said, we haven't been able to do everything. But I want you to remember that generosity is not about how much. Because again, we can get trapped in that mindset of, I don't have anything, or I don't have very much. But it might be those, that one coin that you're saying to God, I trust you with this. You don't need to be wealthy to be generous. It's about your heart and about whether you're willing to be obedient to God. Amen. Shall we stand and I want us to just pray. You feeling a bit warm this morning? Hopefully it's not just a bit cold. You got the fan on you, have you? Oh, grease is warmer. But Lord God, we thank you for this inexpressible gift that we have to give. Lord, I pray that in this moment we receive your word that calls us to be generous people. I'm just reminded of the word where it says, let us outdo one another in doing good. Lord, because we can do this because we completely trust in you. And if our heart is reluctant this morning, if our heart has been trusting in other things, if our heart has trusted in money and wealth and for our security, Lord, we come before you right now and ask for your forgiveness. Lord, I know at times that I will look at my, my bank balance and despair and get downcast because it's not what I want it to be or it's not giving me the security that I want. But ultimately, Lord, I know I need to trust in you more. 
Lord, help us to be people who are on the lookout to be generous, to trust you with all that we have, to surrender every part of our life to you.